You're listening to the Off Court Podcast on the Harbinger Media Network. It's very important that you support the Harbinger Media Network. Harbinger, Harbinger. And especially support the Mind Refinery, which is producing this show, and a Passage, where I've been published. It's the online journal of left Canadian thought and opinion. You can find that one at readpassage.com. And on the Harbinger Media Network, you can hear great shows like Khabib T. Please, of which Nashua was, was on awesome. this show. And 49th, yeah, she was great. And 49th Parahel, hosted by friend of the show and very funny guy, Rob Rousseau. We're building a community that's challenging right-wing corporate media dominance from coast to coast. Get access to exclusive shows and other supporter-only content at HarbingerMediaNetwork.com. Thanks. I mean, I, I did want to ask you, try just for my own uh, research. I mean, I've I've been playing video games for most of my life. I'm I'm 30 years old. I'm uh, uh, I'm a dork uh, like all of us. But um, you know, from my research, just in terms of diversity in esports, something that I've never looked into. I, from what I understood, it's not so much that esports has a uh, doesn't have a lot of black representation, but it's the major ones, from what I understand, that are lacking. Sort of not even just black representation, but diverse representation female uh lgbtq like from everything i read overwatch league of legends all these like biggest e the biggest esports possible remain homogenous um while from what i understood in my research if you can correct me things like fighting games sports games and other kinds of games like super smash bros are actually quite diverse um do, do you have anything to say about that is there anything you could speak to maybe why that is uh, an issue in the industry? Is it something a little bit more subtle than just like socioeconomic statuses between different kinds of players? Does that question make sense, by the way? Sorry if it's heavy loaded. The reason why you don't see more females in that high tier of, of esports gaming, I think goes back to there's not the, the, the rampant amounts of sexism that's like ingrained to the culture ultimately. And really the only way to really combat that is to like boost female game representation and honestly, normalize women in gaming so that next time a female does appear in a Call of Duty lobby, it's just like, oh, this is it's treated just like a male appearing in a Call of Duty lobby. Nothing significant. Totally accepted. Very, very normal. Right. Um, however, that that this is like a big, big problem that, you know, it goes back into the rootedness of, of sexism and honestly will take decades to really get anywhere. Um, but we can obviously, you know, do our part now and admit that. In my opinion, again, there are, there are different perceived solutions here, but admit that uh, boosting representation will help accelerate that. And also that representation does matter because we should be, in my opinion, normalizing women in gaming. Um, now, as for your next part, sorry, you, you threw, threw a lot in here. And your next part here about... Um, I know. That, yeah, yeah, I, about... I appreciate it. Why are, why are there like a higher amounts of like POCs and, um, and other, other things in these other non-dominant non-hyper mainstream uh sports i think that goes back here to uh that to me would more reflect on just the fact that those games typically are more uh locally played and uh so there's like more of a commodity amongst the people in in your scene or whatever if that makes sense like 
fighting games are like very diverse because everyone's mm-hmm. playing each other in person. It's not you don't have to like play online. So you're not as like, you know, because the minute you say you have to play online, you're talking, you know, good internet, good consoles, good connections, n- n- closer to the server, wherever it's located. Yeah, there's a there's a lack of access there that is completely yeah, ignored yeah. when we think. Yeah, about when it. you were when you were on the come up, and like I don't even mean this from like a bitter sense, but when you were coming up as a streamer, like did you have this experience where you were like seeing like you know white peers or you know female peers in the streaming world had like an easier time than you or a more difficult time than you? Like where did you feel like you sat, or did you not see that at all? Actually, <laughs> like. Like, I don't know much about the streaming world. So it's like, in terms of opportunities, like, how did you find, you know, sort of making this like a full-time job compared to like other people you saw, you know, who are at your level and coming up at the same time? I I had a similar question, Abdul, just to add to that, because I find that streaming can be equated in some way to even like being an influencer Mm -hmm. on Instagram. And there's this sort of hidden sign to it where we think like, yes, it's egalitarian to be a content creator online. People are just going to gravitate to your content. But at the same time, there is this socioeconomic time consuming investment aspect to it. I think that we don't discuss um, that I think could be tied to, to what Abdul was saying that I was thinking about. Yeah. We uh, so we'll start with that. The first one, the first one is, uh, did yeah. I observe females having more opportunity? That, was, can you, um, or people having more or less opportunity, it, right? Like of, different groups. My, yeah. Or uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or you even, like, did you have more or less opportunity than, say, like, you know, sort of this, like, dominant white male culture of sports or something like that? Like, did you observe that? Did you experience it? I would say, I would say not for me. Um, I also, typically, though, um, I have a very unique upbringing in that, like, uh, my high school experience was very, very terrible. I was hardcore into Yu-Gi-Oh! and TCGs in high school, and I and I grew up in a very rural, small town where there was no such like nerd outlet scenes, no comic book shop, no malls nearby. So all the Yu-Gi-Oh I wanted to play and all these TCGs I wanted to get into, there was just like really no one. And the few of us who did play were usually completely outed by all of the high school popularity hierarchy. It was just really, really toxic. I'm talking like to the point where like teachers thought that like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh cards were, were witchcraft and they would just like, you know, it was just really, 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 really stupid. Um, well, with that though, ultimately my escapism into gaming uh, started in my in my during my puberty, and so I I didn't really cling to the whole like being a black gamer. I was just like you know I'm I'm a, I'm a gamer, and when I'm online, I'm not seen as like this like you know nerdy, insecure black kid. I'm seen as like you know a great Yu-Gi-Oh duelist, and I think that kind of carried into like into my meta for how I approached competitive gaming, esports, and speed running because I never looked at it as like you know oh I'm the best black speedrunner or the best whatever i didn't really make it racial at all there so in, in that regard what i'm getting at here is the framing of my mind was never that like you know oh i'm being held back because of my blackness i'm i'm it's more because i'm not hitting my full potential as a gamer and a streamer now with that in mind uh that is a i think it's a very very unique thing to deal with and it might come from an area of privilege because i i didn't really uh whenever i get like okay for example right like, like whenever i started streaming in 2011 here if I got thrown like the hard R, it didn't um it didn't really hit me because it was internet strangers. I knew it was like I knew, you know, I know how I know how trolls work. They want a reaction out of you. So I never took it seriously. It's like, okay, they 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 they're on the stream, they see me for five seconds, they see that I have an afro, I'm black, obviously. And they're like, okay, well, what's the lowest common denominator, most offensive word I can throw out with zero effort and no research into who he actually is? And they just throw out that and I'm like, okay, dude, well, whatever. Clearly, you don't really mean this. You're just you're you're doing it in the absence of a of a of a more specific substantive insult to throw at me 
So, you know, fuck you. And then I, you know, I bop him. That's it. Simply put. <laughs> now, that, that's just, that's just me though. And there's a lot more to all that because I obviously, because I'm the triarty mode, there's like a, there's like a crap ton of contextual relevance that has, because, you know, that being called that in 2011 is very different than me being called that in 20, in 2015 compared to 2020. There's a whole decade's worth of lore if you want to ask a particular year or time frame about racial tension and the anonymity and accountability of Twitch chatters on Twitch, ex-content creation, ex-influencers. But to answer your other question in actuality here, um, did I observe others with opportunities? Yes. Um, yeah, I, 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 saw a ton of, um, I saw a ton of growth happen for women especially mostly because like the whole thirst thing but i wouldn't really i wouldn't say that and here's the problem right they can women females can like you know be a little more promiscuous and, and grow off of that the difference here is i'm not offended by that and i don't look at that as my competition for why i'm not growing that's usually where i observe the toxicity come from is like you know you see people who are thinking that hypothetically oh if there was just less women on twitch then i 10 viewer Andy me would get more viewers. Like those viewers would come to me instead of she wasn't on mm. right now. Like they, they do this like stupid backwards logic of like, well, it, viewer entitlement, if you will. And that's where it gets mega toxic. They won't admit that part. But that's, that's the quiet part out loud. So like, you know, sort of to, to follow up that point very quickly, like, you know, you said you, when you started streaming, you know, it wasn't about you as like a black streamer or like you're, you're just a really good Yu-Gi-Oh! duelist, right? And then like people came in, and made that about you, uh, you know, by like seeing you in the chat, you know, throwing the hard R at you and stuff like that. Um, did that like, did that sort of come to a decision for you where you, you know, you sort of had to own that like identitarian part a bit more, right? Where you, you were like, no, I have to be like an unapologetically black streamer or is this still just something that's like more passive sort of for you personally? Um, ah, this, that's a, that's a really hard question. I'm not going to lie to you there. I. I like to think I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't really approach my race as a part of my identity. I was more like I was a really swag speed runner who had like high octane skills and all that. Like ultimately asking about the race stuff is like a very heavy question that honestly, I would say that like young in the game, me wasn't equipped to handle such politically heavy topics, right? But you know, and this is me like back in like, you know, full time university student, broke as shit, 2011, 2012. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't really know like how to approach and deal with all that, right? Comparatively, though, by with, with being granted the global tryhard emote on Twitch back in November 2012 and having the emote blow up and be like one of the, one of the most popular used emotes on the entire website entirely has resulted in that, that resulted in ultimately the emote being used for, for racist stuff. Um, you know, it's, as you know, it's, it's used as a dog whistle for black people all the fucking time. And a lot of, a lot of communities and chats that are nowhere near me. And that led to people thinking that, oh, the emote is racist. And that led to me being approached by Kotaku and being asked for an interview about, Hey, do, how do you feel about emote being used for racist things? Like, so ultimately like my blackness was inevitable and it gravitated towards having to confront all these things. But I, I didn't actively do that in the beginning. I never used it for you know, racist stuff, obviously. I never had to really deal with that. My community, we all use it for, like, the legitimate reason, you know, because clearly it's just, like, it's just a picture of me with a really, really cheesy smile. Yeah, it's a great emote. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess you were also, like, kind of hit with this, like, a bulldozer 
I mean, not to open old wounds, but with the whole destiny situation, you weren't calling for that to sort of happen to you. And, and I, I mean, I listened to the conversation. I think it, you know, it was productive as you could have made it, but is, is that part of, of what you're referring to in terms of like, I can't really control this. And now I, I owe it. Maybe I'm, I feel responsible to my community now to, to embrace the identity. Yeah. I, I realized things were a lot bigger than just me. It was like, so if we go as far back as like 2016 was my first time going to like a TwitchCon and being approached with like, hey, you know, they're having an all black panel talking about like POC situations here. We want to ban your emote. You want to be on. And I, I realized like, holy crap. I realized that my opinion on certain things, if you recall back here, like the Snickers emote was a thing for a brief minute. Uh, that was like a temporary like sponsored like Snickers global emote. And obviously Snickers can be can rhymes with whatever and yada, yada, yada. Well, my opinion on these things uh, ends up getting a viral reaction. You know, my reaction to a KFC bucket and the Snickers emote is what got to the top of a, a subreddit and got like hundreds of thousands of views. And I'm like, oh shit, okay. Well, so some people perceive my take as a take definitive of all black people on Twitch, which is like a pretty big pedestal. Well, one inaccurate, but a pretty big pedestal to like deal with. So I have to like, you know, be, I feel there's like a lot of pressure on me to like deliver like the correct take or have like a nuanced take that's more like elaborative on like what is the end point of the logic implied by the, 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 the observations I give, right? And yeah, with that, leading into the uh, the Destiny thing, that there's a lot going on there actually. Um, I wouldn't mind elaborating further on that a little bit because there's great documentation over Please. the escalation and the confrontation but not really the resolve of what happened with that, I would say. So yeah, it, it is true that um, that Destiny admitted he uses, he, he uses the hard R and other edgy such jokes in private. My offense with that wasn't, you know, because there's no there's no proof of him actually do, doing this. It's just him admitting it in one, one clip or whatever here. My my problem with it was like, well, hey, you're you're a, a big influencer on, on a very sizable community. You know, community is like insanely huge. Um, don't you think it's like harmful to admit such things um, because you're going to help normalize doing the same thing for people who might actually be genuinely racist. I feel like that was kind of like a, a thing that was worth calling out there. And ultimately, and from that, it then led into the confrontation on the on on stream where he was like, "Well, hey, listen, you know that's my principles. I'm going to abide by them. If you got a problem with that, we can drop our friendship right now. You know, I have no problem here. You know, I, you know, I'm not going to apologize here because those are my principles." Is what, is what he told me. And from there, my perception then was, oh, there is like a shocking lack of empathy over how this comes off to me as a black person. And I, I didn't know what to do there. I'm like, okay, well, what do I do when, also in, in context too here, never had a friend make me feel disregarded over racial slurs. It's always been anonymous Twitch shitters or you know whoever, right? But never like a friend do that to me. So there was like a lot going on there. It was like, you know, my POV was this, his POV was that. We were like seeing past one another. Ultimately, I should I should have made it a private conversation and, and confronted them privately like a friend and rather than make it like a public blow up because it uh I didn't plan for it to blow up like it did. And it kind of became the top story on Reddit and everything else. And it was like kind of like it was like it was like I was really stressed out. It was not fun to deal with all that bullshit. And but ultimately, um, we both have clarified our positions on all that stuff since then, and we're cool. You know, we've I could have did better. He could have did better, and we and we're both like resolved on that now, and now we're chilling. That's that's just like you know an elaboration on where we are with that in this present time. I, I want to do better. I want to make a more considered effort to actually like speak about the resolve because people only hear about the drama, but not like really how right. things. You know, we both admitted that we could did the situation better, and we've moved on since then.
So we have some uh, qu quotes from uh, some of the articles that we want to read that will give context to just the um, the issue of sexual abuse in esports that uh, a lot of people aren't aware of. Maybe some of your audience members won't be fully aware either. But yeah, but the point is, please jump in as I'm reading this at any point if you have a thought, opinion, or some insight that um, we might be missing as uh, the casual, the dirty casuals that me and Abdul are. Completely casual. Still play on easy, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um basically before we get into the specifics of smash which is going to be sort of in our second half after the fake break that we'll be having um i wanted to read some stats um uh, just about um the kind of sexism and the, the statistics that uh we're dealing with here in terms of females in esports um so this is from a the article called female esports players face routine sexism and toxicity quote i no longer have power um, so, the Entertainment Software Association reported this year that 45% of U.S. gamers are female. Yet, women women make a sorry. Yet, women make up a scant portion of the professional esports player pool. Executives for games like League of Legends and Overwatch say they are eager to add women to pro rosters where players can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yet, League of Legends Championship Series hasn't had a female gamer since 2016. And the Overwatch League's inaugural season featured just one. This is a, it's just slightly dated, but I think some good information. Um, major esports have thin histories of women at the highest levels. The NBA 2K League said it had one woman in a pool of 250 finalists for roster, roster spots in its inaugural season. Uh, sh that female uh, uh, esports player uh, did not land one of those 102 available slots, by the way. Uh, the Overwatch League had one woman for its inaugural season. Uh, her name was Kim si Yun with the Shanghai Dragons. Um, we also have uh, Sasha Scarlett Hostin, a transgender woman, a transgender woman who won a major StarCraft II tournament in February and is the only woman to uh, win uh, in uh, such an event for that game. Um, I um, I do have a, a trigger warning here, by the way, just for um, a uh, incident from this article. I wanted to speak to be, to share with people. I, I'm just not sure if anybody who isn't even aware of esports or in general would think that something like this could happen. Um, again, trigger warning to anybody listening. So uh, this is concerning Maria Remilia. Remilia, yeah, that was her uh, Remilia. Um, she's. Uh, uh, is the only woman and the only transgender woman to compete in the League of Le Legends Championship Series, the top pro league for the world's most popular esport. Her stay in the LCS was short-lived and not in the inspiring breakthrough some fans had hoped for. Um, she was a standout support player and qualified for the LCS with the Team Renegades in 2015. She made her debut the next year under intense scrutiny. Many celebrated her, but the comment sections accompanying live streams of Renegades matches were flooded with sexist and transphobic harassment. Fans disputed her gender identity, wrote critically about her appearance, and bashed her abilities. A few weeks into the season, she removed herself from the Renegades roster, citing anxiety, self-esteem issues, and she has not returned to LCS since. So yeah, like for you, uh, Trix, like what's sort of what's your experience, and you know, in terms of like hearing this, is this something that like you know you're um you know you've seen a lot of or you know do you think the article maybe goes a little too hard or does it not go hard enough like uh this is all totally not surprising to me no like it, it's a it, gaming as a whole is terrible for women um i would say that it's plagued by racism and sexism this is no shock at all any any given call of duty lobby any given xbox live lobby any given 
anywhere you can go where there's like a, a lack of filter and anonymous anonymity gamer comments are going to be yeah they're going to be bad not going to lie to you there yeah it's that's not it's not good i i totally agree here that there is a um a a gaping gaping lack of women in esports altogether and the ones i'm more familiar with uh i can maybe comment a little bit further on but yeah uh, that's definitely the issue here we uh i would say that uh, a good thing to always look at here that I, I, I observed myself here thinking about it about two years ago was that, uh, for example, on Twitch, I think I, I theorize that one of the uh, if we had demographics of all the active content creators, all the active streamers on Twitch right now, that you'd be able to observe probably that black females might be the lowest um, gender X race crossover on Twitch just because like it's the axis of like all the racism that black people feel. And all the sexism that females feel. And you get so much of both those things there that there's this huge barrier, uh, mm -hmm. socioeconomically and even culturally, where you're like, you know, you're 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 told these genres are for you. You know, go play the Sims, go play brats, go play these, these are for you. Not 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 you know, not the more in-depth conventional games, those are more mm -hmm. guy games, right? And even then when you come in and no matter what like if you get good oh well you know you got carried because you're a girl that's why you're probably at this rank here or if you lose oh it's because you're a girl that's what you deserve go back to the kitchen like you, you get you get you get the bigotry in all avenues so ultimately you just don't feel really welcomed so you probably don't really engage you, you probably never get to the point where you're like yeah i love gaming i want to be a content creator or yeah i want to take it to the next level i want to get into competitive or whatever i feel like that you most of them are probably uh feel disenfranchised and just don't and just dip out subconsciously at some point eventually beforehand so uh yeah i mean this thing is definitely a, a big issue I there all that is like a totally not news for me i i've been a huge advocate for uh for boosting representation and even going as far as advocating for like theoretically here if if i could make it happen like a I'm I'm all for even like a all female esports league. Um, absent, obviously, this would be like this would be not optimal competitive. It wouldn't be competitive fairness because obviously, you know, just the females would would have their own league or whatever. But I look at that as like the greater good to fix the um, to fix the representation problem. You know, if we if we normalize women in gaming first to make them feel welcomed in gaming then there will be more women actually opting to want to pursue competitive. And then there would be a bigger pool of genuine women competitors that can be able to compete alongside conventional things, free of harassment, free of feeling unwelcome, and free of like, you know, the threat of wanting to withdraw because the toxicity and mental toll is one that is unique to them in that regard compared to your conventional male gamer. Yeah, I mean, I just want to emphasize this for the podcast listeners who aren't gamers that these esports events are massive multi-million dollar events. And to me personally, Trihex, like the the shock of this, I, I know that, you know, I've been playing games online forever. People are toxic online, but it's this sort of like ignorance from the institutions of esports as they host this events that that shocks me and that they sort of perpetuate this toxicity i guess because it's just always been there and the best some of the best players maybe are part of this toxicity i guess that's where the sort of confusion and horror hits me personally uh sorry abdul i think i might have no it's like it's it's interesting you say this because like i know i was looking at like even accessibility in games this year right it's like i think it was a new game from riot didn't even have like a subtitles option uh you know in terms of like maintaining like a, a yeah. basic degree of accessibility like you know that's that's just you know in terms of like differently abled people right but 
taking that all the way to the next step to like social inclusivity and, and stuff like that is really yeah it's weird <laughs> you know it's weird and like it does talk to like the next part of what we're talking about which is like smash bros specifically right because it's like such a bizarre community um that has a lot of good and bad right as i'm sure like you've experienced tonight that you know about um triax uh by the way should we be calling you triax or should we be calling you michael you can go triax it's consistent people are gonna people are gonna cool. know that one anyway it's all good all right, right. Um, yeah, I think this is a great place for our sort of uh, fake break um, because we wanted to give some context to people about, especially because we don't want people who don't know about esports to think this is a Super Smash problem. This is a problem across all sports, and there are some more recent uh, allegations and terrible news that happened in the Smash community that we will be discussing after the break. Are you into video games or ever wondered why something like video games is even important to be discussed to be listened to if so check out buffs and nerfs another podcast from the mind refinery hosts andrew and sam will talk about the latest from the gaming world and dive deep into the culture of games from the game mechanics of destiny 2 which god stop bungie making me spend money and play your fucking video game i gotta do research for this podcast uh to the future of cloud gaming they explore the relevance of gaming through personal experience and their impact on society that was a great episode too i highly recommend listening to this podcast so like yeah when we were planning out our episodes for this podcast i saw this like reddit thread that was a alphabetized list of uh like abusers sex pests and like people in the super smash community basically all across north america um and i messaged aton and i was like yo we gotta do an episode on this like this is wild <laughs> like you should not have an alphabetized list uh, of people in your community and, right and it's growing as we've uh, waited to do this episode just to jump in Oh shit. Okay, I yeah. did not know that. Um and yeah, that's that's one of the reasons like you know we're we're so happy to like get in touch with you specifically because like I know I knew people in high school who did smash competitions locally and shit like that. You know, I I'm peripherally around the community, but I don't know. There just seemed to be something specific about smash that like lent itself to this, right? Like did you did you see that thread when it came out, Triax? Like, did you? What were your? I'm very familiar with the entire incident. Oh, okay, yes. and yeah, like like when you saw that, when someone like brought that to your attention, stuff like that. What were your initial thoughts? Um. Well, I have a lot of thoughts actually. Uh. Well, if I may, before I even get to that question, can I? May I just like comment on the framing of the situation? Of course. So, yeah. Absolutely. So. Obviously, the perception is that, like, Smash Brothers, for those, I'm sort of going to explain the context here, but for, uh, the Smash Brothers scene is, like, loaded with pedophiles and sexual assaultists galore. Like, there's, like, a, it's, like, it's endless. So it's not, like, it's not, like, you know, one or ten. It's, like, 50-plus cases. It's, there. You, you need a, literally, an Excel spreadsheet to keep up with it here. And it, it makes it look really, really bad. Like, oh, holy shit. Well, how did it get so bad? I think it's important to contextualize that, that POV, though, that there was... This monumental Me Too slash Time's Up movement that happened specific to Smash, where ultimately what you saw there was 10 years of all the bad happen, like get exposed in like a like a two week span. Right. Like it was like so it's not like it, 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 lo it looks really, really bad because it's literally an unnatural amount of bad news to consume. And it can be incredibly overwhelming and defeating and make you like. It genuinely it can just fuck you up mentally i totally agree with that but it's important to know that like you know 
unlike other communities where you might hear about CEO X is, you know, a sexual assaulter or, or person Y cheat on their girlfriend and blah, 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 right? And this is like, this is literally a decade, decades worth of, of crap all being thrown at you at once. Um, some recent, some in the last, you know, some of the worst ones were, you know, within the last year or, you know, two years ago, but generally spanning back a full decade here. Uh, so that that's important to note. And then also as far as like, well, even then, even, even if it is a year, like why are there still so many pedophiles? And the thing about that, and we can pedophile loosely here, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of, older males preying on 16 not like we're, we're talking like you know like almost legal but again i'm not, not gonna not defending them it's more sex pests, it's not like, you know, right like yeah 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 the, cre the creepers not really like you know hidden on 10 year olds or like that um well and not in all cases anyway the um the thing about that though is that smash is very very unique in that um the the age appeal is very very wide um you you often because because Competitive Smash has been essentially active for 20 years now. You have those who've been around as early as like 03 who are still active to this day. You know, some like, you know, um, uh, Sephiroth Ken or, or Mewtwo King have been around for literally two decades almost. And and then you have those who may have who may have rose to relevance or got into the scene around the, when the documentary dropped. Documentary kids were around, what, 2013? Um, then you had, you know, when Brawl came out, you know, the, the one for Wii the, came out in 2008. So there's like a lot, there's like a lot of like points where, where, where interest picked up and new people came in. And some of them may have been as young as 12. Hacks money comes to mind here. Some of them may have been, you know, already adults because they didn't know that competitive smash was a thing or whatever. So you have this, like, you have, the point is you have like a, you have a lot of tournaments. Remember, because the game, the game didn't have good online or still, there, still really doesn't here. You know, it's one of those games that thrives from like the local play, you know, lag free, crisp local play. So there's a lot of local gathering at tournaments to to to, to play there, and then and that mixing of those demographics results in you know very often where you had like 13 year olds and 16 year olds around 25 year olds, 30 year olds, and and that was you know everyone and everyone was there because they all enjoyed Smash, you know and that that was the whole thing. So it's important to contextualize all of that before we and then get into like more about the 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 incidents there and all that. Just wanted to kind of like deliver a little bit more on that there. Not not defending the yeah, community, absolutely. but I think it's important to contextualize that it, it is an absolutely unnatural amount of bad news at one time and is not a definitive example of the community as a whole. It's as horrifying as the details we were uh, uh, discussing in the first half, but uh, from what I'm understanding, it's just a lot more complicated and a lot more intricate in terms of the community dynamics comparatively to something like League of Legends, Overwatch, Fortnite, any of those. Or even other like local games, like local fighting games right. like Tekken, right? Or or stuff or Street Fighter for that matter. It's like a very different you're saying it's a very like different type of audience that comes to Smash, right? Correct. Because with Smash, so every other game has like competent online. So you can just you can just play like you can play online. You can find opponents to play remote and your biggest hurdle is gonna be, you know, the latency and the lag. Whereas with Smash, you, you don't have that luxury, or you, you didn't until you know Ultimate came out or whatever. But like you know, pre twenty eighteen, there was there was no online. It was all playing locally. You know, we were we, that that's the the whole thing there. So there was a constant gathering initiative for all the communities, no matter what region you were in. So that that makes it a very uniquely different thing. Unlike because every other modern esport, I imagine has some kind of has some relatively good functioning component of online. Uh, where Smash has had literally nothing for a very, very long time. So that's 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 that that to me is like a very uh, a, a huge differential factor for for why these things happen where they did. 
Because, for example, if we look at, you know, okay, here's Smash's, like, you know, rap list of all these accusations and all these things that happened here. Comparatively, if I if I were to break down, like, you know, the Street Fighter community, Tekken community, or anything else here, it, it's it's crickets com- comparatively. It's because, like, the 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 gathering is not as frequent because there there is competent online. So it became more remote. And then, like, the, the, the travel to a gathering spot to play is not deemed as essential. And also, you know, the casuals just tend to like you know be more reclusive online i would imagine than like having to like you know like there's a reason why arcades died right you know uh, in the usa in the usa anyway so like you know who's gonna like i don't want to travel you know 30 minutes to the, to the tournament and go there and blow money to like get destroyed by all the all the good players you know it's like it's, it, it could be deceptively not appealing for a lot of people so but comparatively with smash if you want anyone to play you got to you got to go over there. I would think. You know, you have your local friends, maybe, but if, if you're if you're destroying all of them, you want a little bit more. You go to the scenes, and there's a scene in every every city, any given like tri-state area. So that that's the kind of the starting point where all that uh, comes to play for me. Why do you think it? Like, this is one of the most interesting things about Smash for me because it's like these these massive like super local communities, right? Um, but when the dam broke, it broke all at once across every community, like. Um, yeah, why do you think it it stayed localized to these communities, and like why, you know, why was there no like very little interplay between, you know, say St. John's and you know Dallas Smash, like connecting online stuff like that. Like it it feels like, it feels like a you know from my understanding of it, and I you know I'm probably wrong that like each of these local communities connected in this big way over these allegations, but nothing. But there was very little like connectivity before. Am I am I correct in that, or am I just like you know? Oh boy, yeah, it gets it gets really um, murky from here. Oh boy, okay, all right. I don't want to overwhelm you with the context. No, that's here, okay. <laughs> so, other communities generally have developer um, developer participation, right? So you'll have like. Uh, you'll have like a uh, you know Namco hop in or Bandai Namco talk about you know they'll, they'll intervene with like Tekken and like you know stimulate the community with like their own tournament series pri- prize pools investments in the in the into tournament series and stuff like that. Uh, comparably, Nintendo is very very hands off with all that stuff. If not, has been revealed recently they just kind of like completely uh, disengaged and actively trying to to negate the competitive scene because they they don't want they want to be perceived as a party game, not really as a game that you have to like be relatively good at in order to like enjoy and play there's higher potential in pursuing the casuals than than pursuing you know getting 10 million casuals to play smash actively is more lucrative for nintendo than having the 3 million enthusiasts tur- be tournament you know um junkies all day long right so the thing about that is ultimately these tournament series they have no there's no overarching arching structure there's just like you know hey look i'm doing my tournament uh on this month don't compete with me and that's kind of what happened ultimately now there's no seasons in smash so they're like smash has like things going on all year long there's all these big tournament things and they're all competing for each other to like you know get attention be viable get top players in and and, and do their thing right so the thing the thing with that is um they're all out in my opinion to like put on their best tournament possible make as much revenue and be sustainable as possible acquire most sponsorships as possible and you know get you know a higher view count on their broadcast and you know i mean you know essentially be sustainable right and and get and acquire profit so with that in mind everyone's doing their own thing there's no like person above these like let's call like you know these 12 
tournament organizers who all have their own individual month slot of their big tournaments. There's no one above those 12 saying, hey, here, here's the cohesive vision for competitive Smash. It's just like everyone's all doing their thing. And that's how it ran for a very, very long time. Until there was um, several problematic players who were being accused by several people for like either being toxic or stealing equipment or stealing controllers or just, you know, do, being being incompatible, right? You know, like you're, you're a toxic person, you gotta, get, you gotta get the fuck out of here. So from that spawned this like self-appointed code of conduct council. And they were the ones that you would then go to. And they were appointed by a group of like certain TOs to, to all collaborate together. And like, cause we, we need this, right? We need the code, of, we need to, we need to have some kind of unified code of conduct to enforce at our tournaments. That way, there's actually a rule about being a, a toxic shitter, and you get kicked sorry. Out and they're they're are they elected? Or are they self appointed? That okay. I don't want. I'm, I'm trying to to speak on what I do know. Um, I know that they were anonymous at that time. Okay. And I want to say that the the big tournament organizers all came together and appointed veteran community members. They were not elected. They were they were deliberately not not announced who they were specifically in order to keep things uh, in order to keep things like anonymous and safe for them to enforce mm. um i want to say there were some dominant players who were invited in order to like bring a little bit of a transparency situation but ultimately the point being is that like there was no standardized structure of rule set for the tournament conduct for a very long time and then at some point around if i recall correctly 2016 2015 there became a code of conduct council that was that that is where you would then go to talk about hey this player in um this player in Philly, he's toxic, he's racist, he's a bigot. Uh, ban him, please. And then they would bring up the receipts of, of them being a piece of shit, and then they would get banned from all tournaments, right? So that so that that came into play, and that helped a little bit. But that's about as far as things got, as far as like an overarching like enforcement of rules in the Smash community. Oh, that's super interesting. Actually, I had no idea there was like a council. Yeah, I mean, for for I, I guess I'll just add some of the information from the research for maybe some people who aren't familiar. But yeah, the 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 lack of regulation and also, if you can correct me, try hex. Nintendo is fairly hands off from these Smash Bros. Uh, tournaments, which is why there isn't this sort of like governing body or even like yeah, um, um, actual video game producing company to set community guidelines and. Is this is this partially why these floodgates sort of opened in the Smash community for this, um, you know, lack of a better word, unique set of um, of allegations? Yeah, um, Smash has been very hands off. I'm sorry, Nintendo's been very very yeah. hands off. They don't do much at all. They they said they stand with the victims in a PR statement, but I can't. I personally can't seem to find anywhere online like a substantial move that they did within the community. Yeah, because they don't want to be perceived as like having been condoning all the situation, right? right. They stand with the victims clearly, but they don't want to be like we're at a point now where Smash is probably irredeemable in in Nintendo's eyes. They they because ultimately like they have no agency. You know, it's been two decades of the community fostering without them really delivering any kind of directional input for where they should head and all that. They've expressed a, a stern disinterest in fostering an esports scene for Smash. They've been approached by numerous companies, including even Twitch personally. Twitch's esports team division wanted to do something with that. And there was a leak out from a, from an anonymous high esports individual. You may have seen the tweet here. There was like a, it's, like a, it's got like 13,000 retweets on it, where, he, where they admitted that, uh, yeah, Nintendo's been acti actively trying to kill the competitive scene since like 2012. 
if I recall correctly. That's where that like meme approached by... comes from, right? Oh, sorry, the fi- that's where the final destination meme comes from, right? Like where it's like people trying to create their own esports regulations for it, where it's like you know Fox only Final Destination or whatever, uh, because Nintendo's not yeah. helping them set it up in such a way. Somewhat like that, yeah. The, the meme comes from the fact that like the it's more like people who are mad about what's perceived as competitive Smash. Um, that if you want like a technical answer to that one there. The Final Destination Fox Only No Items meme comes from, I generally perceive it as from people who 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 think that competitive Smash, you know, playing with items off only on certain stages, and with uh with stocks, aka lives, rather than like a rather than like you know a stamina meter, like other fighters or whatever it may be here, they um they don't think that's very skillful. They think that you know the game should be played the way the game was intended, which is with items on, and that. If you if you don't you play with items off because you lack the skill to adapt to the items randomly spawning on screen, um, that's what I perceive that as actually. Gotcha. Um, I could be overthinking it though. I mean, but that meme's like twenty years old now, so yeah, I mean, of like, <laughs> I can't even imagine where it comes from at this point. So yeah, the because of all the these like the the several like one off encounters of like problematic people in the community, they need somewhere to go to, and that would be the 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 um, code of conduct council. Uh, form and that was kind of the the major thing where it was like where they would keep a database of like all the reported problematic players or participants and they would all be like you know more and more of the tournament series and remember those those 12 major tournaments more and more of them over the passing time would continue to like adopt that rule set hey we agree with the code of conduct rules don't do these things also these players who are banned at other tournaments they're also banned at our tournaments and that became like kind of like this the fostering of a of a universal code for like conduct in smash but ultimately yeah the i don't want to get into any specific cases because it makes the whole thing like really really heavy because there's like a, a crap ton i mean there's like I, and i think we're least... we're going to record actually some of the sort of maybe some of the details and the research that we did separately so don't don't worry about that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. i mean clearly like you know 10 plus of them affected me personally people i've known for mm-hmm. people i thought i knew for a for over half a decade and i just you know i felt like i was a. Uh, disgusted betrayed and honestly um grifted upon a ton but yeah that uh that happened and what i can say is that it'll be where we are now is i mean if you probably find it hard enough here you can probably go to the smash bros subreddit go to like the master thread with like a a a excel spreadsheet of every single case i've reported every tweet every twit longer every confession letter whatever right and there's a lot of people who got expunged from the community and or voluntarily left because of the of the pre-guilt um and that and that where we are now is like um i think the community is going to heal i think we're, we're we're persisting at this point now and it's going to be the thing is we really won't know how this has definitively affected the smash community particularly until we're post-covid because right now, you know, no one's doing any events because COVID's affecting, you know, any kind of gathering at this current time. So it'll be interesting to know here how things will shape up post-COVID. But I would I would expect um, a lot of definitive changes. I can go into detail about them if you want to hear about them. But yeah, I'll let you lead first here, what you want to know more about. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you know, you you knew a lot of the people and like without asking follow up on that, what was the pressure on you uh, when those allegations broke in terms of coming out and like speaking on it you know someone who is like high profile in this community and you know fairly involved like what was it like you know for you and you know a lot of it's not just you right a lot of people came out and said Mm -hmm. like well we had no idea right and stuff like that like the nature of the community from you've described doesn't lend itself to a lot of people you know sort of knowing these things but 
you know, was it, you know, unsurprising to you? I know you've mentioned some of it was like what people expect you to do or say. No, it was, uh, yeah, it was very, very surprising. I didn't, I didn't expect any of these things. Uh, I, I thought, you know, never in a million years would it be, you know, X, Y, or Z person. Uh, I thought I knew them really well. You know, we, I mean, I'm not talking like, you know, I just knew them. Like we saw each other every TwitchCon. I'd been to like at least one smash major event every year. So I would see, you know, all of them generally twice, sometimes three times a year. You know, I fly out to Los Angeles, you know, four times a year on average for events, charity, fundraisers, or gaming conventions. And so, you know, I would see them there all the time. They were, first, it was only Smash events, and it became, you know, any Twitch event as well. And then it became, oh, well, now they're esports commentators. So I just see them at whatever I go to at this point, you know? So, yeah, we were we were squad. And it was, uh, I thought that was really, really cool to see, you know, Smash go from the basement up to where we were, you know, doing legit esports uh, venues and stuff like that. I thought it was, like, really, really awesome. As for how it hit me, um, I, 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 of course, I want to, I want to speak on it, but I admit it's hard to, um, the most I would do is like reach out to the, to the victim or retweet the statement because I wanted to give them their voice and let, and hear them out first, you know, cause there's a lot of pressure to remain silent, you know, because who wants to be known as a victim, you know? Right. But the thing a lot of people don't understand here is that, you know, there, there are sometimes there's accusations for, you know, the, these, these victims to like, you know, oh, they're just like bad mouthing the top player for clout. And it's like, who wants to be known as a victim? Like, you know, they have an identity too. They've done other things. You think they really, you think what their, their biggest internet fame to be derived from the very thing that they're being accused of being, you know, getting no pleasure from, honestly, they want closure. They want to move on here. And there's a lot of pressure and uh, a stigma, if you will, to just kind of like, internalize all that pain and and the accountability so it's, it's like be, it's because of that stereotype too right like the these females these female players are aware that if they speak out against these top players who are the ones who are have committed the most uh, noted allegations they're aware of the sort of reverse psychology that's going to work on them that everyone's going to accuse them of just doing this for competition right yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there'll be, you know, no one wants to like be, you know, wants to be the the whistleblower on the accusation and then have to like mm -hmm. both be known for being assaulted or raped or whatever it may be here and simultaneously fight an entire top player's fan base is going to be deep in denial over yeah. over the possibility of, of foul doing wrong, I would say. So, yeah, there, there's a there's a there's a lot going on there. And, but to, uh, to continue on, though, yeah, I would I would uh, I would retreat the victims. I would reach out to them on their if, they, if, if I knew them personally. Um, but I admit for a lot of them, I I either A, wasn't at the venue or event where the accusation took place at, so I couldn't comment further or, like, vouch. All I can do is just, like, kind of give them a voice. So it would be like, you know, it would retweet the statement and be like, yeah, this is, you know, listen to the victim. You know, let, let, them, let them speak more is, is what I would do. Um, I got a lot more involved in some other ones that happened specifically in speedrunning, particularly, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, but that's, like, a different topic entirely, though. But that happened all in the same month, same month, ultimately. Uh, this is a really hard conversation. And we, we, we hear this stuff about so many other kinds of sports uh, and, you know, just esports in general. But I just I know this is a very rudimentary po point, but it all boils down to the fact that this is a Nintendo game. And Nintendo games have, you know, sort of associated themselves with family entertainment and, you know, for the most part, children's games and our youth for the most part. And as you noted the, these games, Smash Bros, have hit so many different generations. Um, I think that speaks to why this is so hard for people to to talk about. It's such a multi generational um, activity beyond even esports. 
And, like, especially for you, Trix, like, <clears throat> you know, people, you know, I really only have, like, two two questions myself to, to sort of, uh, you know, on my end. Um, uh, I know about you, Aton. But, like, you know, people develop, like, a, a parasocial relationship with you as a streamer, right? Where it's like, you know, you don't actually know someone in real life. You're not actually friends with them, but you listen to a podcast. You feel like you know these people. You feel like, you know... You feel like you have some sort of relationship with them, right? Even though it's one-sided, that's just like a natural um, outcome of, of, you know, that industry or, or any sort of industry where you're like broadcasting yourself in like such a personal way. Um, that must have put like a lot of pressure on you from the your own community, right? Like what, what did people expect you to do? Did you hear stuff about like you're not doing enough? You know, what did, like, do you feel like there was additional pressure on you as like someone people felt familiar with and, and felt was like, oh no, this Trix, he's a he's a good guy, <laughs> right? Like he's someone who hasn't been touched by these allegations and needs to needs to like, you know, validate, you know, my own feelings about this, whether, you know, my feelings towards these allegations are like positive, we're finally getting rid of the problem, or negative, like these people are just doing it for clout. Like, you know, what's it like in, in those like crisis situations when you're sort of in conversation with your own community and stuff like that um who you know have this like you have this very specific relationship with yeah great question there's a lot to unpack right there so let, let's start first with i i don't specifically feel a lot of pressure to speak on smash be while i'm obviously a known advocate for the community and i go back and i'm, I'm one of the veterans who like helped propel Smash into esports by helping be part of the initial fundraiser that got Smash into Evo back in 20, uh, 2013. Um, you know, I, I I didn't really start going to Smash majors until like 2016. I, you know, I, I can only afford to do so many so much travel in a year before I like I blew up. And uh, unfortunately that meant, you know, picking TwitchCon over going to like a Smash major I really wanted to go to. So I wasn't really there for all the accusations. So, you know, just me just kind of like being like, yeah, I vouch, you know, listen to the victim or whatever. So it wasn't big pressure to speak on that. But the people who were accused, who I knew very well, and and by extension thought I had a good judgment of character on who wouldn't do those kind of things. I wouldn't hang out with people who, who do that kind of shit. That, that hurt me a lot. I felt personally betrayed by the people who were being accused of things they were, that, 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 they, that they then later, ultimately from a mission of guilt, admitted that they did. So that that messed me up hard. And I did choose to speak on the topics because I, I needed closure for myself to move on. Like it was affecting my ability to stream because like all that's on my mind is holy shit, you know, there's like, you know, there's 10 accusations right now and they all involve big players and it's like fucking me up. And then you wake up the next day and there's another four. Wake up the next day, there's another eight. Wake up the next day, there's another four. Wake up the next day, and that's you know, it's just like it just it, it, you kept thinking it was over. And then by day four, you need a freaking Reddit thread, Excel spreadsheet to keep up with all the shit. And at the more and more it became normalized to like, you know, r reveal. You're like, oh, my God, dude, well, damn, who, who didn't fuck up something in the last like eight, eight years or whatever? It's, it's insane. And it made me think, holy crap, man, we there's definitely a problem here. There's a there's a whole lot of problems here uh, that we need to definitely look into for sure. Your, your question about the parasocial and do I feel an obligation to speak on something? While I didn't feel it on Smash, but I, I did it to bring closure to myself and to my community because it was affecting me mentally a lot. Because it was, again, shitload of bad news at one time. It was really making me... I was doing literally like trademark doom scrolling. You know, I'm just like, I'm like scrolling looking for more bad news to look at because I just couldn't... I didn't know what else yep. to do myself. I do feel obligated routinely 
to rise up and speak on the racial issues within Twitch. Mm. Ultimately, whenever Tryhard gets used in a racist way or someone whatever is whatever, 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 people come back to me. Whenever it's like, can I say the N-word? Can I, can I, can I say it? Uh, is it cool if I rap the song? Is it cool if I do this and that? You know, these questions get thrown at me all the time on uh, on any given like podcast I appear on casually on Twitch or if there's a what, whatever's going on. If there's like a new person who got banned for racial slurs, people coming at me and being like, okay, well, what's strike stake on, on, on that there? Like that I feel obligated to cover because they, they come at me in bulk and ask me about it. And I, I guess that they come at me because they perceive my opinion highly because I've spoken in nuance about these type of topics in the past. So my blackness makes other like racial slur incidents inevitable for me to comment on, which is something that like maybe sometimes I don't actually feel like doing that hypothetically here, but that's that's intrinsically white privilege in the regard that like, you know, or like non-black privilege here where it's like, you know, you, you, the white person can literally speak nothing of the racial tensions that that are felt by the, the use of problematic uh, dehumanizing pejorative use slurs on Twitch, whereas I can't escape that. You know, people are going to come at me asking me about it, especially if like a big, if big streamer X is banned for saying the N-word, they're at, they're up coming at me about what what's your opinion on that? Like I'll have randos come at me just like that in my stream, completely derail my stream and, and bombard me with like, you know, hey, what's your opinion on that? So it's it's inescapable and it's either I choose to just shoot that down or I rise up and be part of the conversation and, and steer it in a direction that I think is better for the entirety of the community of Twitch and myself. And like, you know, sort of to, to quickly follow up on that too, for, for my part, the allegations in that Reddit thread vary immensely, right? Like there's obvious like criminal harm to like grooming to like far more like casual stuff to just like, you know, um, you know, casual sexism and stuff like that, that you see, or, or maybe a bit more aggressive than that. But you know, there's a, there's like a whole spectrum of harm at play here. Um, and there is... Like, you know, I personally am a big believer in, you know, something called, like, restorative justice, right? Which is this idea that, you know, based on the crime, people can can be healed, can be brought into community, can find reconciliation. Like, this idea of, like, carcerality or, or prison, um, so to speak, right? Like, a figurative prison or literal prison is maybe not a perpetual solution to all of these problems. Of course, for some of them, <laughs> you know, some of the more egregious ones it is. But yeah, there is like a conversation about harm and justice to be had in this space. Do you feel like, do you feel like, you know, the maybe that the one size fits all approach that, you know, might be taken in a lot of these, you know, communities, oftentimes, which are made up like, you know, let's be real here of younger people who are just learning about this stuff and, you know, maybe might take like a more aggressive stance on it has sort of made it more difficult to to parse out and to like actually like does it does it make all harm seem equal right and then like do you have a a professional pressure on yourself you know to to respond to that or to ignore those elements of it or to like do you feel like it makes it more difficult to have a conversation about like what is uh not redeemable but what what is sort of I'm trying to think of the word like what is key to like healing a community versus just like immediately throwing people out right because like also gaming in general also attracts a lot of people who are like you know socially inept right but also a lot of sex pests and people who should not be in those communities period and like there's a, a spectrum there that you know I feel sometimes from time to time can get lost uh, also if you disagree with that point that's also like very fair <laughs> right but yeah do you, do you get what I'm saying? 
Yeah, yeah. It's just that you threw like a whole lot I'm at sorry, me. Sorry, so, like, I need I to get better like, at this. Yeah. 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 So let, let, let's let's rewind back. Like, just make sure like, to apologize that, that if your answer here. is too lengthy. Okay, we'll, we'll just need an apology if the answer is lengthy. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to hold on to what I got before I forget it here. So, do I do part one? Do I think that um, there should be a road to redemption for those who offend? And for me to answer that question, we have to go back. We have to like kind of go further back and deconstruct the entire concept here about like you know, well, what is the point of punishment? Is the point of punishment should it be tit for tat? Should it be oh, well, you wronged and therefore you murdered and therefore you get murdered too, GG? Or 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 should there like be like a quantitative punishment system where it's like okay, well, definitively murder is you know less bad, or, or definitively murder is more bad than rape, therefore bad thing X is punishable by a certain degree compared to bad thing y and you get to measure the badness of x and y right but that that's that's talking about the punishment less so the um the the concept of the of, of the road to redemption here um i'm right there with you that like um if we're gonna have incarceration if we're gonna do things like that here clearly there needs to be like a road to redemption or also we're just keeping them unfit for society and i feel like that's like a that's not really a i feel like a, a society that has a crap ton of people incarcerated is not really the best way to rebuild society and show like are we are we just agreeing that there's no there's no redeemable trait once once you've wronged there's no there's no ability to reconsider reconfigure and like determine a better route for them going forward again i'm, I'm getting to like some some vague principle stuff obviously or as far as like incarceration goes here but allow me to then now that i've presented that idea to you that there, there needs to be like a definitive or a quantitative punishments based off of the wrong that happened here because you're right not every accusation was bad or not every accusation was as bad as some of the other ones here some were genuine pedophilia some were as petty as like he cheated on he cheated on me and then lied about it or whatever right like that's like a domestic dispute here that's not really like sure should, should they have cheated probably no obviously were they being a dick about it yeah but is it like is that like a grand dose enough crime or or wrongdoing it's an integrity of character, obviously, but should that really be why they exit the smashing entirely, right? So there's a there's like a lot of conflating over like the the wrongs that were done, but they're different spectrums of wrongness, right? I was just gonna add quickly that are we also not risking minimizing some of the more serious allegations when we give so much emphasis to the sort of more casual allegations? Sorry to cut you off. No, no, and that's a very valid point because that 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 is something that was happening towards the end of the the Me Too mm -hmm. movement with Smash. There was, there was some that was like, okay, okay, he cheated on you. That's like nowhere near the same thing as like actually like whatevering. But again, that's like a different topic, different different day though. Moving on though, now this is where it gets particular because you're asking about this theoretical thing about like, are, should there be roads to redemption for perhaps some of these people who had wronged in these accusations? And allow me to present to you an actual scenario that did happen here that gets pretty gets pretty murky in the community. I can actually give you a definitive example rather than an entertaining hypothetical here. So there was a, a member who um, ultimately was caught cheating in a match. However, the cheating was in the form of a of a of a fixed match. They were instructed to deliberately lose on purpose to fix the bracket, and that was being done because of a blackmailing of the fact that said person had sexual activity with with the other person like person a had sex with person b so person b who had sex with person a had to like down fix the match because they were gonna get blackmailed because he, they were they were underage or whatever and that happened and the thing about that is the 
the underage part, the underage blackmail portion of the scenario wasn't known until two years later. And the moment that it happened, it was like, oh, well, well, person, person did a match fix and they got to get banned. So they got, so because of like the competitive integrity being violated, they were banned uh, for a year. But in the same like span later, it was found out here that, oh, they, it's because they got blackmailed. Then the other person got banned for five years. Then there was a debate over, well, if what's worse, the, the competitive integrity or the, the, the blackmailing sexual exploitation. Either way, the, the five-year ban on the person who did the blackmailing was maintained, and there was argument to reduce that to only one year because it was like, well, if we ban them for five years, right, are they going to come back? Like, five years is a long-ass time. Five years is like an eternity in internet time. Like, are they, are they, are we essentially, is five years really any different than a ban for life? Like, are they really going to come back in five years and actually want to play? Like, they're going to be so crusty, rusty, irrelevant, whatever, right? And there's going to be such like, a huge stigma over, like, who are they? You know, if they place like top 30, oh, it's the, it's the person who did it, right? The game is the past or whatever. So ultimately, it's like the argument became, okay, well, hey, if, if your goal is to ban, then let's ban for a year rather than ban for five years because five years might as well be life anyway. So that was, so there was actually a pretty big debate about, um, about whether or not there should be a definitive quantitative punishment for certain, certain things here. And you're asking a very good question. I would say it ultimately it's mega contextual and it's, it's very, very hard to quantify. Uh, okay. Trigger warning here. I'm, I'm, I'm just bringing up the things that were accused, not the, not details here. You know, how do you, how do you quantify from, from, from least bad to most bad accusations that include genuine pedophilia, um, sexual assaults, uh, drunk sex, lack of consent, rape, um, cheating on, the girlfriend and then lying to lying about it into um toxic jealous boyfriend who locked down said girl and told the girl to never leave the hotel room because uh there's a bunch of horny dudes out there in the smash tournament and if i see you near them i'm gonna beat you and him you know you just it's like there's different spectrums of like bullshit that happened there and you have to definitely figure out here like who's who's redeemable and who's not it's an important uh concept to entertain because you're right. Do you just say you blanket ban everyone the same way? Uh, or do you like have to like, do you really hop into it and figure out a definitive least good to most or, or least bad to most bad spectrum? It's a good question ultimately here. And that does require a lot of nuance to get into the specifics of each thing, I would say. And for, for uh, our listeners, sorry, very quickly. Um, yeah. Like when we talk about restorative justice, like one of the things restorative justice like hinges on is centering the victim uh, in terms of like, was the victim's path to reconciliation and healing first before we go to like the the perpetrator right but the idea is to never is to you know never push someone into like prison or out of community entirely um specifically to make sure these things don't ever happen again sorry Aton, i just wanted to clarify that point. no yep. that's extremely important i guess i just wanted to follow up to what you were speaking on trihex is you know, as we were saying earlier, the unregulated sort of environment of these smash communities seems to have maybe opened the sort of floodgates for these kinds of allegations, especially the more serious ones to sort of happen. Do you think that the the unregulated environment is also is perhaps a positive from what I'm understanding in terms of the next steps and in terms of healing the community? Like at the end of the day, how the community is going to heal is in the hands of the people who started all these grassroots tournaments from what I'm understanding, right? Nintendo doesn't have a sort of corporate 
uh, uh, motive to to fix this, other than of course they've banned some players. But you know, I, I say this because our podcast is is very critical economy sort of based, and we talk about the role that corporations play. Do, do you think this being in the hands of the people basically is maybe now? You know, at first was maybe a negative, but now perhaps a positive. Uh, and by the way, none of these criticisms are of Twitch or any any single company that pays Triax's bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> out there, yeah. Yeah, maybe, I think I think it's all good. Yeah, um, yeah. I actually, yeah, I think it's I think it is better handled in the people now. Um, I think it, okay. So if I entertain the hypothetical that Nintendo gets involved now and tries to like rebuild the scene. Nintendo would just like blanket ban, I don't know, everyone. Right. There's just no way. Like Nintendo does not want to embrace the identity that Smash community is trying to trying to become now. I would imagine they just want to like they want to like completely wipe the floor clean and have their own paid commentators, casters, and have it be as like PC and clean as possible. I'm talking like if you if you've ever seen a Pokemon, a Pokemon tournament from Nintendo, like an official one or like a Pokemon a tcg tournament broadcast it's like it's so it's so devoid of any culture that it's just like it's boring as hell it and feels it, it feels like ai device. is hosting the entire event yeah basically. it feels like it's corporate climate at the highest capacity so nintendo being involved here would just be not even recognizable to what smash currently is now what everyone knows and loves about it here where we are now though for those who remain there is a very there's a first off even before the actions came out here there's already tons of advocacy to like protect women there was already like you know you had you had initiatives like the Smash Sisters, which was like which is like a, a group of, of females that would often have their own female only tournaments and female inclusivity. So if you were like a female in Smash, you know with these like with these ratios, I will admit, Smash's attendance tournament gender ratio had improved significantly. Tournaments I went to in 2016 compared to 2019 were night and day, you know, or even go back to 2013, right? Like at Evo, 2013, it's a sausage fest comparatively by 2018 i saw what was comfortably dare i say at least 10 percent women if not even 20 percent at the venues i was going to it, it significantly improved the normalization of like you know um players bringing their girlfriends or couples coming together or just, you know girls coming because they love smash because they like the culture the atmosphere the characters the fan art the boost whatever they, they come and it's great and it was already like an initiative there to like, you know, protect, protect women. You know, there's a lot of creepers, a lot of weird people. And a lot of them, I would see them on Twitter threads just be like, you know, hey, you know, if you're if you're feeling awkward, come get me. You don't have to even know me. Open invite to come get me and, you know, come and I'll escort you away from the, re the weird people or whatever. It there was already that in play. And I've seen many top players already like who were proactive on that initiative as well to like, you know, collaborate here. Hey, listen, I'm a top player. If any person feels awkward left out isolated in a, in a situation they need they need a, a, a an escape from poke me like you know me and i'll be more than happy to like get you out of the situation if you're near someone who's just being weird or creepy or whatever may be here so there's there's already an initiative and accountability involved here to like improve the scene and then make the, the social stigma of smash significantly better because we're all invested in like the betterment of the community obviously and the sustainability and the viability of it I was just gonna say I I love that because it's like very different from a lot of like corporate <laughs> um, sorts of ways to like address these things, right? Where it's like it's so community driven, everyone's like an active participant, in making people safe. Like it is, it is really nice to hear that stuff like that happens because it's yeah, it is very different from what you hear in similar things or even like when we're talking about when Aton and I are talking about sports in general, right? Like the way big the big business of sports has tried to address these issues has been like lacking in ways that like even just the way fans are at stadiums right 
you're bringing up a very good point that I'm, I'm glad you poked me on here. The difference I find in some cases between Smash and maybe those other big grand esports is that like, you're right, Smash is very community driven. You're, but I, I would say that your typical major esports event, it's much more fixated on there being a definitive platform and performers and an audience. The audience feels very separated from the uh, from the platform, right? You know, you got your big esports stadium with your big jumbotrons, and they're on their pedestals with their PCs and all that. And they're like, you know, 20, 30 feet from the nearest audience uh, um, um, spectator, right? Comparatively with Smash, it's much, much, much more grassroots here. Like the whole like having a pedestal and having the big thing that didn't really even like that didn't really get normalized until like over a, a decade into the scene. And even then, like because there was zero corporate oversight, there was not a lot of money for a very long time. So the budgets for these things were pretty shoestring. So even then, the the grand spectacle, in my opinion, didn't really get normalized until like 2016, I would say, where you had like, you know, a jumbo, a, 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 you know, a definitive projector, a theater room, you know, a um. You know, just all the production value that you, you'd want out of a, a given esports event. I think that got normalized in the later half of the 2010s. And, and but ultimately here, because of like the more of the poverty come up here, the separation of audience and competitor, I felt was a lot more intertwined. You know, the, you would just see a competitor just like it was not uncommon to see like a competitor be in the audience, get up and walk to the top eight spot and, and play right there. It wasn't like, you know, you have all your top players like, you know, separated, you know, in their own like private VIP you know all that no no the community was a community it was a community period you know you might see them over there money matching you know on, on a side tv 10 minutes before the for the match in the top eight it was all like it was all very very intertwined i think that really shows the definitive hominess you may you may you may feel in smash that you might not see in the, the bigger esports scenes you'll definitely see this kind of thing as well in other ones other fgc uh communities uh definitely but i i'm familiar with smash in that regard here and there was definitely a lot of that going on it's heavy, but but but, uh, but if I can elaborate a little bit further here on on the point about the uh, the corporate intervention of the community and where the community goes now here, yeah, there's there's a ton of uh, advocacy to definitely be part of the solution, not part of the problem, and I'm very I'm honestly very excited to see where things go post COVID. I think you're going to see uh, there's already proposals now that whenever events resume in a post COVID world for Smash, you're going to see a lot more rules like like no bullshit. There's going to be like you know. There's going to be miners are cut off and they got to have a guardian. There's going to be a lot more protocols in play to make sure that nothing like all the accusations that happened this past summer that came to the surface will ever happen again. And if they do happen again, get that ass banned straight up. That you know they they're like I think everyone, including me, is very very excited to as like as we alluded here earlier to the beginning of this episode, which was like you know I'm passionate about having females feel welcome in uh, or having all all genders feel welcome in gaming here. And having the cis male conventional uh, not be like the the only one that feels openly accepted comparatively. So I'm all for whatever makes them feel welcomed. And I'm all for whatever I can do to be an ally in that situation, which I think definitely includes like, you know, holding Smash community to a standard and being part of, uh, you know, signal boosting or participating directly and helping um anyone and anything i can to make everything safer for everyone involved i mean diversifying in this context is clearly not just because it's coming from the community is clearly not a corporate move that a lot of people would accuse the community of it's clearly to protect to protect the people who are involved in the community and 
open the doors for more people to join the community that wouldn't feel comfortable before. Because as we talked about even earlier, like many of these communities are homogenous and mostly white male. And when you just see different kinds of people in that community, not like not only do you want to go there, you'll feel protected as you're a part of it. And I think um, you don't see that in other kinds of sports, like Abdul said. I think that, I think that's that's really interesting, and it's it, I think it's the youth aspect of it potentially too that that really emphasizes why it has to work that way. Sorry, Abdul, yeah, go ahead. It, no, it's it, you're right. Like it's crazy with like football games and stadiums. Like you know, there's no way for someone who's like you know sitting watching a game like who's being harassed by like a drunk fan like in the stands behind her to call someone over and be like, we need to like this thing is happening right like it's very it's very rare you see that sort of stuff happen it's like it's really nice to see that you know that emerging in esports and especially like smash and hopefully seeing it because there is such an emphasis right now on diversity in esports too right to potentially see this happen in sort of other esports and then maybe even in the rare way like go back to you know what we would call like physical sports and stuff like that would be super awesome um, that's pretty much all of my questions. Aton, do you have any? Uh, no, I, I think I, I threw my follow-ups already. Um, you gave us a lot. <laughs> well, y- y'all gave me a lot, man. Y'all, y'all, uh, I, y'all, y'all came in with the two fat scoops of Raisin Bran, uh, from that, from that, uh, from that box. I was like, the, man, from okay, the box man, with the one with the sunglasses on the, on the, yeah, it was like, yeah, here's a three sentence, here's a three sentence question. And here's a, here's a, here's a sentence question you know how do you feel about all that honestly man thank you so much for being so generous with your time like i really appreciate it like you've given us so much and it's been like a really like engaging we said an hour we're on two hours we also touched on way more topics than we did that were all salient to the overall theme of what we wanted to talk about so yeah you thank you for doing our job for us as well yeah that, that was really cool of you um, where can people find you uh, for those listening who are not live? Um, and do you have any other streamers who you feel like you want to recommend as well? Oh, the pressure here. Well, uh, <laughs> not to put you on the spot. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, y'all can find me uh, Monday through Friday, uh, some weekends on twitch.tv slash tryhex. Um, you might know me uh, for the face of tryhard. I am, I am tryhex. I've been in... Uh, I've been an esports content creator for a for probably over half a decade now. I am a veteran speedrunner in that I play games fast and I play them really, really well. You may know me for Yoshi's Island speedrunning or Mario Maker high octane, high octane gameplay, or you know, uh, back in 2017, being very active in the Mario Odyssey speedrun community, where I was uh, at one point top 30 on the leaderboard for Mario Odyssey speedrunning. So I was pretty fast at that too, and very, very skilled at it. And recently, you might you might know me more now for my political advocacy, um, engaging in politics and trying to trying to get those who don't care about politics to understand here that everything's intrinsically political and that it would be in your interest to be in the know for what these crazy people are, for who these crazy people currently are in our Congress and the fact that local elections most certainly do matter and your vote most certainly does matter. So, uh, yeah, I've been I've been going pretty ham on politics since. I don't know, 2018 onward, I would say. And I've been very active in it this year here. So if you're interested in all that, I would incur, I would implore you to come by to come by to Twitch stream. And you can follow me on my uh on my Twitter at Trihex, T-R-I-H-E-X, where uh I usually post some some stuff dumping on Republicans any given day of the week. 
Democrats too, but lately it's been like Republicans hardcore, <laughs> obviously. So yeah, it's their turn. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and yeah, you you've been listening to the Off Court podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast um, if you're new to this or coming to it through Triax uh, at Off Court Pod on Twitter. I'm Abdul at Socialist Raptor on Twitter. Uh, I'm Aton. You can find me at Rabbi Die Hardman at Twitter. Um, I just changed my at Abdul. Sorry. It's okay. um to a very weird one um and yeah thank you again for doing this triax we really appreciate the crazy amount of time that you gave us tonight yeah that's awesome thank you so much